Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Marty Plum, and I am your host of a pen and napkin podcast, the weekly coaching clinic that you can carry around with you in your pocket. We are here at the state tournament. It is Friday evening of the state tournament. We have I th- a, a new record for a pen and a napkin podcast. Five guests all at one time. We've only got four headsets with six people talking, but we're going to make it work. So, to my left, Russ Neinmeyer from Sandy Creek, now David City, or David City, geez. Douglas County West, uh, numerous state championships, McDonald's All-American coach. What an experience. He had to spend a week with Jeff Ritz, so we won't hold that against you. I had to spend eight years with him. Andy Gerlitz from Papillion South. Nate Wall from David City Aquinas. Tyler Shaw, the man, the myth, the legend, second time appearance on a pen and a napkin podcast. And Tom Taverdi from Seward High School, another two-timer here on a pen and a napkin. We are at Longwell's, 350 Canopy Street, across the street from Pinnacle Bank Arena. They're going to have a ton of specials both this weekend and next weekend for the Boys State Tournament. Come on over, check it out. They've got food, they've got beverages. You can bring the family over. Just get here in enough time to make sure that you have a place to sit. We had to kick a few people out of here before we got going today. Life on the road in the Big Ten, I guess. So, Russ, how you doing today? Very good. Andy, how, how are you doing? Yep. All right. Tom? Hey, I'm not teaching world history right now, so I'm doing great. Well, it's 5.15 on a Friday. It'd be awkward That's if you were teaching world history right now, so... Lesson plans I'd be working on. Oh, you'd be working on lesson lesson plans. plans. My fault. My fault. Completely. All right. All right. And we got got Nate and Tyler in the bullpen here. Uh, We're going to talk about a bunch of stuff. I sent you guys a format a few days ago. I'm going to change it right away. And this is like the 27th interview podcast I've done. How many other things? And I, Nate, you've listened to everyone you've told me, all right? I have very rarely, if ever, gotten on my soapbox on this platform. I've always tried to make it about the guests. But I'm going to take two or three minutes, and I'm going to get on my soapbox here. We just saw a game today. And, and, and as a precursor, this is not the coach's fault. They're just playing the hand that they're dealt, and they're playing the situation and the rules that they're dealt, okay? But by my count, we just saw a state semifinal game in which over 12 minutes, or about 11 minutes of game time, we had seven total shots from the field. We had, and one of those seven shots was a 60-foot heave at the buzzer at the end of one of the overtimes. Um... Rustin, you say 14 minutes of game clock went by before somebody scored? Yeah, yeah, before they got a shot up at at the end of the uh, third overtime, yeah. Yeah. You know, again, I don't begrudge the coaches. That's the strategy that they're dealt. They're they're playing the clock. That's the rules. It's, It's like you're mad at somebody for making a lot of money because they decide to refinance their house or they get something at a low, they buy low and sell high, that type of thing. Hey, that's the rules that you're dealt. Play it. But... It is a travesty, in my opinion, to have a state semifinal in which we don't have a basket from the field in 14 minutes, and we only have eight shots in 11 minutes of game time. We have perhaps the best player that we've seen in Class B in the last six or seven years, probably the best scorer in Class B, 
since Jordan Hooper played at Alliance. And she spent five minutes of the biggest game, five consecutive minutes of the game playing defense. Playing defense. And, and we struggle here in Nebraska sometimes to sell girls basketball against volleyball and against soccer and other things like that, other, you know, club sports and other activities and that type of thing. In some programs, numbers are struggling. But if you're a young lady that's 11 or 12 years old and you watch that stretch of 10 minutes of basketball where you hold the ball and you watch people dribble around and not do anything with it, how is that exciting? How is that that wants to get you fired up? You know what I mean? It's time for a shot clock. It's time to make this game. And, and before this, for the first three quarters, how many three-pointers were hit? Had to be close to 20 between the two teams. The Hauser girl had five or six for Northwest. A couple of kids from Crete shot it really well. We've embraced every modern concept of basketball. I guarantee if we check the box score, there were more threes shot than there were twos in that game. I'm really confident of that. Or it was close. It was really close. But we're still in an archaic situation where a team is allowed to hold the ball for four minutes at a time to play for one shot. I'm exhausted. I'm tired. I'm off my soapbox now. Am I right? Am I wrong? If I'm wrong, tell me I'm wrong. Tom, what do you think? I think you're, there's a lot to be said for that. And and if you win, it's not nearly as... There you go. I just think if you don't have a shot clock and you get situations where you have a great player, like a Morgan Molly from Crete, that's a strategy that makes sense to work. And so... But I don't know who the decision makers are that will change that, but... We played Creed earlier this year, and we were down 12 to 6 at the half and just held the ball. And if we had made a couple more threes, we would have been in really good shape. But, I mean, I didn't like playing that way, but I'm like, that's the rule. That's the only chance we got. Yeah. So until they change that, you'll see probably more of that when you get a great. And thing is, it's magnified when it's a great player. Because or a you great team. Sp- or a great team. Or just, a, you know, even a yeah. great player because then – to beat that great player, you got to keep the ball out of their hands. And so you, if you have a guard like Brown and can stall and they can't take it from you, that's what's going to happen. So, yeah. Do you think we should change it? I think we should. I've thought for years we should have a shot clock. Yeah. And just because it would be a lot easier to play defense when you don't have to defend for, you know. And it just forces you got to have a lot more sets. you got to have more quick pace. Every other level has gone to it. So I, it, I think it's going to eventually come, but I don't know when. Yeah. Andy, what do you think? Yeah, I would agree with Coach Traverti in that, um, you know, it's a lot easier probably to convince kids to play defense for 30 seconds, 35, 40 seconds, whatever number they come up with. Uh, I also think that it would be good for the game because it would help kids to make plays instead of just run plays all the time. And um, one thing on my soapbox I'd like to see maybe would be a little bit easier change would be to clear out the fouls at the end of the quarter like some of them do in the college game Uh so that there's no – um, you know, like Knights of Columbus free throw shooting contests and that type of deal. Yeah. But, but it's, to your point with the shot clock, I think that it's probably time for that uh, to, to for that to change. Yeah, Russ, you've been around longer than any of us. I think the shot clock would probably be beneficial to the game, make it a little bit more interesting for the kids to play with. Questions are, will, there, will that change our skill level? Uh, those are things I'm more concerned about. I'm also worried about enough people to operate the machine sometimes. I know that's still a questionable bar, but I think for the game itself, 
it's going to be how long will the shot clock be? Will it be for 30 seconds? Will it be for 40 seconds? I've seen a lot of different proposals come out just this spring on a, on a, on a survey asking coaches to vote on this. I'm not sure, you know. I know we compare a lot to the coaches' associations that South Dakota has it, but they only have it in the largest class. They don't have it for the rest of the class. So I'm in favor of we're going to do something as a rule change. Let's do it all the way, all through all, all the classes. Yeah. Let everybody be on the same page. If it's good for one, it's good for everybody. And that's where I'm going to stand on that. And I, and I don't think we even need to, to have it at the – we don't need it at the freshman level. You don't need it at the JV level. But at least put it at the varsity level. At least put it at the varsity level. You know, and, and I just – I have a hard time seeing a potential state title appearance – on a ball being held for, for four minutes. I mean, I, 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 I just do, you know. And you, you you have that situation. And, again, I'm not begrudging either team for holding the ball. That's the rules. That's that's the game. That's that's what is put in front of you right now, you know. And, and if I'm in the same situation as one of those two teams, maybe I consider doing that. But, gosh, darn it, we're on the biggest stage that we have, and – Let's let players make plays, and let's move the game forward. You know, there was one interesting fact that I saw during that game that neither neither team was in foul trouble. No. They went. They played a whole second half. I think both teams had three fouls. So they, they uh, you know, there's probably more opportunities for some more fouls during the game could have been called, but they just let them play today, which is good for the kids, too, I think, at times. So... You know, you get one sided, but I still think a shot clock would make it entertaining. But again, I want to make sure that, you know, we're going to have that all the way through. I, I, I would say let's have it all the way through. We're going to have it, let's use it. Otherwise, yeah. don't. Yeah. yeah. Coach Wall. Uh, Coach Plum, it's kind of a kind of a touchy subject for me. Um, you know, I see it both ways, really. I, um, Northwest, like you said, they're just playing the hand that was dealt with them right there. They have a dynamic guard. They're playing against a great team with one of the best players the state's seen. And uh, what they're trying to do is just really just trying to even the playing field, like you said, give themselves a chance. Um, And, you know, I guess what I've – you know, I see a lot of it on Twitter where you see teams hold the ball for an entire game. You know, you have six to four games in the fourth quarter – but the defense is just sitting back in the zone and just letting them. Like I, yeah. I think there are sometimes there are ways to prevent it. Like in today's case, it's like Coach Tavardi said, it's really tough to take the ball from, yeah. from uh, McKen from Whitney Brown. And so, I don't. I guess I'd like to know what's the initial reason for not having the shot clock. You know, I mean, Tyler, it's hard to say. The I think I think going in, we it's time it's time that we kind of change the game a little bit and. I do like it with a combo of clearing out the fouls as well. I mean, I don't know if, if, if that's too much change or whatnot, but uh, I don't think so. I think it's uh, the appropriate amount of change, and I think those two rules actually work hand-in-hand hand better with each other just because you get more possessions in a game for both teams. Um, I was watching the end of that game with uh, Whitney handling the ball, and it's like, well, Northwest has a really, really good player that can do that. Like, Northwest has a... Th- lead on you and there's three minutes left you're in trouble because she can dribble the ball and break the five second count as well as anybody i've seen in class b and you know that's kind of one of those things like 
Man, I hope we have a lead going in late against her because she is so good, you know. So I, I get keeping the ball away from Maui, but also I think it's pretty beneficial for Northwest because their ability to maintain possession with one player alone, mm -hmm. you know. Um, I, I don't, I'm not sure the simulated Raiders could have held the ball that long, you know. I mean, yeah. just, just be, we would have, we would have had a, a different, different strategy going in, and it'd been just like. We've got to get the best shot we possibly can, and we're going to try to move the ball and make it happen. So, yeah. you know, well, you I, play to I, your I, strengths, and like we said, we don't begrudge any coach for playing to what the rules are. I mean, heck, there's years where we had situations where we would do that three-minute thing back in back in the day. Yeah. And, and it's just – I think, though, you would definitely have sought a very, very different – strategy at the end of the game with the shot clock. It, the dynamics of overtime would have been it would have been off the charts exciting, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. That you know, a lot of people were talking about it in the stands. I tweeted about it, you know, I just I just want I just want to see one tweak I, I'd like to make to it though is if when we're playing, if we're behind, I can turn the shot clock on. And if we're ahead, turn it off. Yes. That would be a nice rule to add to that. There you go. There. I think one way to look at it is uh, who's running that shot clock, you know, because you can't – I've been – I've played in places where we have scoreboard issues, not getting the clock started on time and stopped yeah. on time. So there's going to have to be, you know, a little bit of training that goes with that shot clock operator. You can't just pull anyone out of the stands. It's interesting that you bring that games. up because I remember my daughter was younger playing in some club tournaments where they used that. And it, you, you think it's going to be more of a hassle or finding somebody or whatever, and it was really pretty simple. Yeah. You'd find somebody, it didn't take much, and they never had trouble getting an extra person at a club tournament, which is just as hard to get extra workers as it is a game. And it was real smooth and went, and if yeah. there was a couple of glitches, the ref would fix yeah. it. But I, it really went, I was surprised at how smooth it went. Yeah. And 90 to 95% of the possessions... It's not going to matter. You're going to get a shot up. You're going to get a shot up before it. It's just the extreme situations where let's have good flow. Let's get this back and forth. Let's keep it going. I mean, you know. Well, I think you saw that with Northwest. Uh, Coach called a timeout once because he saw how frustrated the girls were getting just trying to hold on the ball. Yeah. So he grabbed a timeout. I think he wanted to play, but he wanted to take the shot only in the paint. And I think Crete did a great job of keeping him out of the paint. So, you know, it wasn't so much sometimes deliberately stalling. But I do think one thing would be helpful, too, is is that five-second count does not get called at all during a ball game. And, you know, that's something that either she would be there and enforce that a little bit more because what is, by the rules it says six feet, what is six feet? Sometimes they're saying you got to be in the jersey with them to, to count that. I go, and I think, you know, just – being consistent one way or the other. I don't care which way we go, but be consistent of how you're going to call the game. Yep. yep. All right. Soapbox over. Hopping off. There. All right. Done. We're good. Let's move forward here. All right. Um, I got a few things. We talked about a few things yesterday that I want to talk about with you guys kind of in the same way. And then I got a few different things uh, that we'll, we'll talk a little bit differently about. Um, so I just kind of want to to, to talk to uh, you three guys, you know, all three of you have younger teams. You know, you're you're hovering around 500, maybe a little bit below that this year. But you got a lot of your group back. You got most of your group back. Okay, um, what are you looking at for 
this this spring and summer? How do you approach your your off-season development when you've got the the core of your group coming back? A lot of the folks that I talked to yesterday, they they achieved you know more wins and losses than you guys did. They got a little bit further in district play, but they're losing some stuff, and so they're kind of rebuilding it. And they kind of had their ideas and, and, and philosophies of how they're going to attack their offseason with their teams. All three of you guys kind of have your core groups back, you know. So are you going to approach that any differently? Uh, are you going to kind of keep it the same? You know, what do you kind of think? And I know you've only had a week or two to think about it, but I'm sure you've thought about it a little bit as you move forward here. So, Andy, I'll start with you. What, do you, what are you kind of thinking here? Well, one of the first things we're going to do is to try to get our kids involved in spring sports. Um, 13 of our 14 kids are going to be out for track or they're going to be out for tennis or they're going to play uh, AAU basketball. They're going to be doing something. Uh, a lot of them have, like, private coaches and different things like that, too. Um, you know, we'll open up the gym for them to come in when they want to. Uh, gym space is hard for us to get, but uh, when we get it, we're going to try to maximize it. But, uh, you know, we'll sit down with them here in a couple of weeks after our spring break and just come up with a plan for each kid. We'll sit one-on-one, myself and a couple assistant coaches, and have them talk about, like, what are your goals? Where do you see your role in our team? How can we help you maximize your potential? Things of that nature, uh, just to try to help them uh, achieve what their goals are. I found that you know, you can tell them what, what our goals are for them, but if they tell you what their goals are, they're going to work a lot harder for those goals. So we just ask them to try to tell us what they want from us, and we're going to try to serve them and uh, try to help them maximize their potential. But the biggest thing, I think, is to just keep them in the weight room. We try to get all of our kids uh, in a weight training class. We're fortunate that we've got a strength coach, too, uh, but we try to get all of our kids in a weight Full-time. class. Yes. And during the school day? Well, not during the – well, he's, he runs his own business, but okay. then he'll come up and, uh, like, during the season, he'll put together a plan for us. Uh, we lift two times a week during the season, and he'll put all that together. Uh, I have nothing to do with it. I just say, hey, here's what I'd like to see. We work a plan together. He puts it together. Kids execute the lifts. 15, 20 minutes, we're gone. Yeah. Um, you know, so that's a big part of our development as well. But – uh, those are the biggest things is that they just keep competing. Um, you know, like I, I have kids all the time, well, I'm just going to go work out with this guy. What does that really mean? Uh, it's the same thing like when I've had kids that quit basketball and say, well, I'm going to focus on softball. What does that mean? Well, I'm going to go to frozen ropes and take 50 cuts on Wednesday. Well, that's not competing. Yeah. And I just think that there's no substitute for competing. Uh, so we really uh, encourage our kids to go out for track. Um, and we've got, like I said, to be honest with you, my assistant coach, he's our girls' track coach. And, and so, I, ha- I mean, we, we, were, we were really, really on the same page with trying to get as many kids as we can uh, out for track. Because the fact of the matter is, is that track can help everybody, but not everybody can help track. Yeah. So if you go out for track, you're going to be a better athlete. And so that's something that we try to help or encourage our kids to do to try to help them develop. Okay. All right. Russ, what about you? What are you, what are you looking at for, for this offseason? Well, right now our biggest thing that we're looking at is what Andy was talking about, is get the kids to be more competitive in all sports. We encourage them, too, to go out for track. Because I feel track is a, 
a place where it's all about yourself and nobody else. So I think that's a good place to start. I think right now our biggest concern is our quickness and our speed on the floor that we've got to somehow get better. Uh, we've got to get to a different zone level and be more productive with our defense and get our offense rolling a little bit more. Of course, you know, our biggest thing right now is, will come up for most of our kids is the more we practice shooting, the better we'll put the ball in the hole next year. So I'm just trying to find a ways with that. I will sit down with Andy, like Andy did with the kids here, and we'll discuss their responsibility, what they think, where they see themselves on the team, what as a strength and a weakness, and what we're going to do about that, and how, <coughs> how we're going to take that next step on the ladder of success of a program and as an individual what it's going to take to get us there. So yep. those are all things that we're looking ahead to do. Yep. Tom? I really take an approach of meeting with every kid individually and, and having a different – every kid's unique in terms of what you want from them for your team to improve next year because it is a, it is a case of you need every player to improve so that you take that collective improvement into your team. And I, my approach is I'm, I'm really um, – partial to whatever they want to do if they want to do a spring sport totally support that and most of the kids at class beyond down you know they'll if they'll you'll see that a lot so that's the first thing is just really encourage them to do that i also think then around that i just feel like when you look down here at state and you watch all the teams that are making championship runs it's hard to find one that does not have a core of kids that are really into the club basketball scene. Much like you see with volleyball. The teams that are the best teams in volleyball every year, they got a core of kids that are into the club scene. And I'm like, you can't force kids to do that, but you certainly really promote that and make it available. If they want to do a spring sport, that's great. You know, and so you got to have, but I feel like you got to have that core of kids. Now for basketball, it's two or three at least that are going to do the club thing. So they can take their game to that next level because when you see that club scene basketball, it makes you tougher, smarter, more aggressive, and you see that Crete here. Most of those kids are in lasers basketball. As, as example, one club Northwest at CSS with Whitney Brown, and they had a bunch of kids going down there. And I just feel like if you're not doing that club thing, you're going to get beat by the teams that have a core of club kids doing it. Now that doesn't mean you have to. If they want to do a spring sport more power to them but then that's the kids you have to talk with about hey all you need for basketball is a hoop in your driveway and a ball yep and then but you can't just leave it at that and say hey get in your driveway and shoot so i'll have like a a handout and say hey i want you to get 1,000 shots made by april 1st and have them fill it out hand it in let's get 1,000 made whatever works out for you 1,000 made by the first of may <coughs> But I just feel like you have a hard time seeing teams down here. You're going to see the Class A games here next. All four teams are going to be, you're going to look at them, is going to have a core of kids that are playing club basketball. And I and and, and that kind of, and you don't have to have all of them do that. Yeah. It's not like if you don't play club, you can't play for me. But you've got to find that core of kids and light that fire in them that want to do that, that they choose to and want to do that. And then you can build around that. But I think without that core of club kids that have that passion and put that time in, it's just hard to do it on your own locally without a club-level element to it. We just had a girl now that 
we have a uh, guy that's doing some grassroots roots work in Seward with some local kids, but one of our best players wanted to go on to do club. And I sat down and told him, I said, I would, if that's what you want to do, I highly recommend it because you need to take your game to the next level. Yeah. And it's just you don't get that unless you get the club scene. And so I've really, I've really been a believer in finding the right – but it's got to be the kid's choice. They have to want to do it. Yeah. Now, like out in the Sydney, Nebraska, that's a different ball game. So I, I'd like to hear what your perspective is on that. Well, for us, uh, to do club, not that we don't have any clubs out there because we have a few clubs – uh, but Scotts Bluff area has kind of one where they play a couple of couple of tournaments, but nothing like, you know, Nebraska Attack, Shooting Stars, you know, the Lasers, all the – we don't have any of that. If you want to do any of that out where we're at, you've got to drive two hours to Fort Collins and play with, like, the Rocky Mountain Fever and teams like that. That's like – if you guys remember Mike Dom, kid played for South Dakota State, that's what he did. He had, He's from Kimball, Nebraska, and that was about an hour and 45 minutes for him to get, and that's every Wednesday and every Sunday. Isn't two hours in the panhandle like 20 minutes in Omaha? Two hours in the panhandle you know. is like I just black out, and I, all of a sudden I'm there. It's crazy. <laughs> okay. Two hours in the panhandle. It's, if you say, eh, how far is it? That's about two hours. That's like not too bad. Three hours, eh, over three. Then now, now we're actually paying attention to the trip. So, yeah, yeah. Honestly, though, I mean, the club scene for us. I mean, I can count on these three fingers. How many kids I've had in 14 years play club? Uh, Taz Yurik played for the, the Pinnacle, Pinnacle Dauber. Yeah, yeah, played yeah, for I you, right? Her. Yeah, yeah, yep. played for you. Um, trying to think who else. Uh, I have a couple of freshmen, or I have uh, Megan Ross who plays at Shattered State now, or she's a walk-on at Shattered State. She played for the uh, the Rocky Mountain Fever. But, like, it's just a tough, it's a tough, it's tough for those kids to drive on a Wednesday and on a Sunday. I mean, the Sunday's not a big deal, but the Wednesday, they expect you at, at least two of those practices every week, and they go all over, and it's a little bit different dynamics. So we got to do it a little bit differently with us. And like Coach Taverti said, the kids got to want to do it, no matter what it is. doesn't matter if it's go out and shoot, work on your offensive game, any of that stuff. They've got to want to do it. The thing that we can control is giving them opportunities. And honestly, we really, ha- we really do a lot of work from, honestly, November to March. Like just defensively, just try to be really good at that and get our offense up to speed. Because we do have a lot of three-sport athletes. You know, mm-hmm. You're seeing club volleyball a little bit more um, out out in our area of the world. world. Uh, there's just more opportunities, I think, for club volleyball. I don't know if that's the way it is in the central or eastern part. Yeah. But um, it's just it's just different out out west, and it's yeah. uh, it's difficult. But I encourage anybody that wants to do it to do it. Yeah. There's a little bit of club volleyball in Omaha. <laughs> just every just a little bit. Couple you, couple things. We don't have club soccer. Just a couple. You guys get the club soccer, like yeah. soccer, softball, yeah. volleyball. Those are your kind of main yeah. club sports. With us, it's literally volleyball is about it for yep. us in Sydney because we don't have school soccer. We don't have school softball, which is kind of unique, I think, for a Class B school, but it's just not a lot of those. Yep. The teams that you would play, you're driving on the interstate, to at least central Nebraska to play a lot of those teams. So, 
or you're going into Colorado, but sometimes the scheduling becomes a little bit iffy there. But yeah. yep. At what point? At what point do you guys start looking at your film from last year and start really, you know, because when you're when we're looking at it from November to March, it's little here, little there, but we're but we're focused on three tapes on Seward, three tapes on Aquinas, three tapes on Papio South. And then, and we're also evaluating our older stuff. But in in April, May, you know, you can really dig into. Okay, these are the twenty two games that we're really going to dig in on here. When do you guys start doing that and, and really start breaking it down for yourself and your kids to get you ready for the next step? Go ahead, Tom. I've always I don't know why when or why I started this, but it it always ends up being in the fall. I feel like my mind's a little more cleared from how our season ended. And I'll go through and I'll watch every game we played the previous year with nothing other than just a notepad and a pen and watch every game and just take notes. And I've gotten more plays, more whatever from maybe a mistake we made on how we defended a ball screen that, you know what, that mistake is actually, I can remember way back when I was coaching at Fremont, we were playing Lincoln High, and it was uh, Michaela Franklin. You probably remember her from Andre Franklin's daughter. And we were defending her in a ball screen, and we screwed it up and did it wrong. It's like, wait a minute. But that technique really actually worked on that play, and we ended up, that was our base ball screen defense I've ha- probably had now, our base coverage for it for ever since, ever since then. So I go yeah. through every game and just take raw notes. It could be anything that jumps out at you, your team, the other team, whatever, and just take notes on anything that impresses me, stands out to me and then when it's all said and done I'll go all the way back through and just start highlighting stuff that that I think we can incorporate this year for this year's team given the personnel we have returning yeah. and I have found that as one of the most helpful in terms of building a master plan for the next year of your system and your drills built into that system I, I that has been one of the most effective things I have felt in terms of building the master plan for the next year It's amazing how many things, and it has to be far enough removed, I think, from the season where you're completely emotionally detached now, and I've gotten more. I'll get 20 pages of notes and then just start working through that, and I found that's, that, that, and I usually do that in the fall when I'm completely detached from, you've played summer ball already with your team and all that, and then you say, okay, based on what we've seen in the summer with our new team, notes, put that all together, and then you're ready to go day one. How about you, Russ? When do you start doing stuff like that? Well, actually, I usually wait till that time too. But actually, this year I've started already, and I've went back and I looked at like my third game of the year compared to my last, the third last game already. Just look for some tendencies, and I've noticed that one of the things I'm going to have to really work better on is is learning. The girls got to learn how to screen a lot better. We didn't do a very good job toward the end of the year compared to the first of the year doing little things. What what do we do well during the year compared to what we didn't do well at the end of the year are the things that I'm going to really concentrate on. Again, I had a very young team with all freshmen and sophomores that had never had much success in winning before. So uh, it's, it's going to be a setback again. But now I know the kids a lot better. I know their capabilities better. And we're going to look at going into a full summer really trying to get better on some basic fundamentals more than anything else in the game. Yep. Yep. How about you, Andy? Well, I've kind of started watching some of it already, uh, putting highlight tapes together for some of our kids that want to play at the next level. But 
one thing that we can do with Huddle now that's good is that um, you know you can kind of go through and clip different things or tag different things. And what we did, I heard Coach Raggy on your podcast yesterday talking about how some of her kids struggled to remember baseline out of bounds plays. So this year, to be honest with you, we didn't run one. We didn't run a baseline out of bounds play this year. It was all motion. So I'd like to go back and check and go look at every baseline out of bounds play we had and see if it was worth it. Mm-hmm. You know, and see, like, if, if we got – because I know we had more five-second counts than we had in the, in, in the past. But I feel like we also scored more. The other team uh, had trouble defending them at times. So that's something that I'm kind of eager to look at, maybe over spring break. We got that uh, the 16th, so I'll probably start uh, looking at some of the film a little bit closer over that time. Um, I, I was a freak. I would just start April 1st. I would start just going through to kind of get ready for the summer and kind of make adjustments. You know, maybe I was just a glutton for punishment. I don't know, but I would really start looking at that because I always thought of I want to take a look at what we did last year to get ready for the summer. And then what adjustments, you know, here's some of the adjustments we're going to make to the summer. Does it work? Does it not work? Take the stuff that we did better in the summer, bring it into the fall, and then try to fix some of that stuff in that situation. You know, so everybody's got their own way of doing it, you know. But that's kind of the way I always kind of thought about it. I, I used the spring to get ready for the summer, and I used the fall to get ready for the winter, but I based a lot of the fall on what we did in the summertime too. So, you know, there's, there's no – perfect way to 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 look at it in in that regard so you got something coach yeah just one thing i wanted to to say is uh yeah i was hired last april at aquinas and so uh my first year there um you know even though the school was in town from where i was coming from uh i had to i had to rewatch all their varsity games so that i knew a little bit more about the personnel that was coming in but um the, the previous team had 10 seniors that, that graduated, so I had a completely new team coming in. So I, I, I actually went, started in the spring and rewatched all the JV games because my varsity team this year was uh, the, the JV team from the previous year. So I had a lot to, lot to catch up on. Uh, and uh, listening to your podcast earlier in the year, I remember Tom's podcast in there, and I learned a lot from that podcast as far as making that master plan, sitting down in the fall and watching your team and taking notes and come up with that master plan. So that was something I incorporated this year during um, you know, so. during uh, my season was here's what my team looks like in November, but when sub-districts roll around February 17th, what do I want them to look like? So we got to get this stuff accomplished in the first 14 practices. We got to get this accomplished in December. Yep. And then it all has to come together on February 17th. So just being patient with that process was something that I learned from Coach Tiberti during his yep. – during his podcast yep. with you. Tyler? Similar to Coach Taverdi, uh, the master, I, I feel like his is a little bit more organized than mine is. Uh, I have about, I buy about 15 composition notebooks, like the old school English note, you know, the writing, writer's are, are, notebook. Are you like the, the, the guy in seven with like notebooks all over your house? Similar minus the serial killer. Yes, okay, that's good. Tendencies, but, you I'm, know, I'm happy to hear that. I have a tremendous, yeah, I have so many notebooks and I just have like, two, I, have, I could go back, 2018 ideas journal and I just kind of look at that stuff and it's, it's kind of scattered, but the, the whole master plan thing is kind of one of the things that, 
I've kind of implemented the last few years, and uh, it's it really does lay it out for you and what you it gives you timelines. The timelines are huge. You know, what do we have to have done in the first week? What do we have to have done in the first? You know, by the time the first game, what what should we be able to do by mid February to the beginning of February? And it really it gives you, I guess, guidance on how you should be practicing versus just. Oh, it's my planning period. I should just wing this right now. You know, I mean, it just gives you a lot of uh, gives you direction on your planning, and and obviously the master plan for me sometimes uh, sometimes goes off the rails. Things that I think we should be better at, maybe we're not. Maybe we need to hit those, or maybe it's time to just you see something in a JV game, or somebody else does, and you steal it. And you're like, that's really nice, and that's kind of how uh, how we do it as well. Uh, the Another thing I have to say this, our coach Cooksley from Broken Bow will, he'll hunt me down. They're actually trying to start a panhandle club team uh, for the panhandle pride. He's going to have tryouts on March 15th out in Bridgeport. So coaches, send your players there. I believe it's fifth grade through 11th grade. So yeah. sorry for the shameless plug, but. I knew I was going to get a text as soon as he heard that. So I, we're not afraid of shameless plugs. I Don't worry about it. Plugs, Don't so. worry about it. Yeah, so there you go. Speaking of stealing, speaking of stealing, what's something you guys saw this year that you coach that they, you were coaching against somebody or you were watching film? Let's say Andy, you're getting ready to play Millard North, but they're playing Bellevue West, and you saw Bellevue West do this, and you're like, I'm going to bring that in for the Titans or or something like that, you know. What, what's something that you saw this year that you were like, that's really that's really good. I, w- I want to add that to the repertoire of, of the Sydney Red Raiders or the, the, the Monarchs of Butler County and, and, and so forth and so on, you know. Any, any, anything come to mind off the top of your guys' head that you saw this year? Tom, Tom's got one here. I saw a team that made a lot of shots, and I thought that's something we ought to incorporate is making a lot of shots. That didn't happen, though. What's that? I, I saw a team that made a lot of shots one time, and I'm like, I, actually, what I saw was on Concordia women and the way they played their, their press and their system. Yeah. And I was just really impressed. Totally different way to play in terms of your, tra- say, your traditional 2-2-1 press or your 3-2, whatever. They, they, did, they have a very different system in how they go about it, and we incorporated that. And I really – I. We basically stole that system and tweaked it a little bit to our personnel. But in how to press, getting away from traditional alignments that everybody does and doing something really different that people are not going to have. Okay, we've got our press break against a 2-2-1. We've got a press break against an odd front. So it's a really different type of press. And so we really stole that from them, tweaked it to fit our personnel. And I that was something I really really picked up this year that we used. Yeah. So you're kind of zigging while everybody else is zagging a little bit with that. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. All right. Anybody else? Anybody else got something that they saw? We got them coming around here. Go ahead, Nate. Yeah. Um, literally everything that Hastings St. Cecilia does. Um, yeah. I, you know, watched them three games before we scouted them in January, and I saw a couple of really good sets and out of bounds play, and I'm like, that um, we're putting in that, and so we saved some stuff for sub districts and ran it, and even even named it after Saint Cecilia. We put in a play called Blue Hawk, and uh, that's one thing about uh, coaching is it's the 
it's literally like the greatest fraternity. It's like the greatest brotherhood. And I've had so many people help me along the way. And no one has ever told me no before. You know, mm-hmm. I, I think I've talked to Coach Taverdi on the phone a few years ago because I needed some help. He called me back in December wanting some help scouting. Uh, I can think back to, um, you know, back in January, we were struggling against a half-court trap against uh, St. Cecilia, Kearney Catholic, and Lincoln Christian. And so when we got, when I got back on Tuesday off of the bus, I just started calling some of my coaching friends, like, help me with this. How, how can we break a half-court trap? What do you do? And uh, about three coaches just said, well, here's what we do, and I incorporate their ideas. And, and then I name them after them. Yeah. You know, uh, Sims 51 from Laurel, and we put in uh, – um, and uh, and another play as well we named after a coach. So it's just that that's what's great about this profession is no one has ever told me no, um, no matter how busy they were during yeah. the season. Yeah. They helped me out. Tyler. Uh, this is a small small tweak we did this season uh, just by watching Shadron and where they put. They have a six-foot long athletic player that they had at the top of their one-three-one. And, 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 I, and I, I know I should be putting – you know, one of our longer players at the top of the one-three-one, but obviously it wasn't that obvious to me. I watched him on film, like, man, teams are really struggling against Shatter's one-three-one. Like, maybe we should throw Maddie up there, our six-footer. Yeah. Guess what? Just, I mean, like, I was thinking, you always worry about what could happen. You know, oh, they'll get backside rebounds. Oh, what? No, it was it was glorious. I stole stole just that little idea watching Shatter on film and going, why don't we just do that? That's so many times through through a season, do you see something? Somebody does something on film, and I mean, obviously, the out of bounds plays that that people at least I steal, I steal little ones, or try to incorporate it in what you your alignments. Mm-hmm. Man, I really like the pick the picker action, or I really like this, and just try to make it all the, your alignment so it kind of fits yours. Uh-huh. And when it works in a game, you kind of feel like, man, I feel pretty smart, but knowing full well. You just, I just steal from the best. That's what I try to do. Just try to steal from the best. Yeah. Russ, Andy, you guys got anything? Well, this year I went to uh, College of St. Mary women's practice a couple of times, and mm-hmm. Coach Walker was forcing everything left on defense. And then Coach Henderson at South Dakota State spoke at the Metro Basketball Coach Association Clinic, and they were forcing everything left, and I thought that we would give it a shot. So we changed our whole defense to force everything left. And I don't know that I can go through and, uh, you know, quantify it and say we were better defensively. One thing I know for sure is that we were a lot more consistent with our closeouts. I mean, every one of our girls closed out the same way. And one of the things that I struggled with before is that, uh, you know, and I coach club basketball, so I'm not bashing it, but... You know, sometimes kids, you know, you're you're forcing sideline, you're forcing baseline, you're forcing middle, influencing here. So all of our kids were closing out every different way you could imagine. And so I'm just like, hey, we're going to close out. We're forcing everybody left. Even left-handed players, you'll make the adjustment during the game. Mm-hmm. But we forced everything left, stole that from Coach Walker, and then we worked on our ball screen. You know, it changes everything you do because then, you know, your ball screen defense is different. You know, so like if you're going to set a ball screen on one side of the floor, you're going to ice it or down it or force it to the baseline. Where on the other side of the floor, if you're forcing left, you're going to have to trap it or go over the top. Yeah. So, you know, you got to work on that stuff on the side 
pick and rolls, but I don't know. I think it helped us to be more consistent, but I can't go to our girls, I don't think, and say, hey, you know, we were infinitely better defensively because we did this, but I think it helped make it more consistent for us, and then uh, it, it might have it made a difference, I think. That was something that I watched Coach Walker do, and I really liked and stole it. Gotcha. Gotcha. Russ? You know, I think I've been coaching for a long time, and there's an old saying about every coach, if you're not a good thief, you're not a good coach. I think you've got to rob from everybody what everybody else is doing. But the key is how you can incorporate that into your program and go from there. And I think what Andy was saying, no matter what you do, if you can just hang your hat on it and, and sell it to your kids and do it this one way or do it the right way, the way you want it done, you're going to find out it's going to be very successful. Yeah. The more you do it over and over, you know, I'm not that way. I like to force everything baseline. Hardest shot in the world is behind that bang board. And people can't finish. Because I learned this from Connie Ori a long time ago. You're a dime a dozen shooting a three. If you can't drive and finish, you can't play. And I think that's very that's very true. A three-point player anymore, if they get their feet set, they're draining them. Yeah. But if you make them take one dribble, their level goes way down. Mm-hmm. So those are things that you know you got that we try to work on a little bit. How do you change it? But again, just be consistent, believe in what you're doing, and get that point to your kids. And I think you're going to turn the programs around. Yeah. I think it was. I, I'm pretty sure it was Don Meyer that said two things. You can't. You could take any good idea, but you can't take all the good ideas. You know, and you've got to. And I think sometimes, especially for like young coaches that are listening, you think, well, that's a good idea that Tiverti's doing, and that Shaw's doing, and that Wall's doing, and all the way around. But you can't take everything that, 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 that you hear on this podcast or you see on YouTube or whatever. And then, and I think, Rush, you make a good point, too. I think you said this. You put something new in, that means you got to take something back out, you know, and, and you can't have paralysis by analysis and try to do this. So let's say, Tom, you, you took Drew Olson's press, but you probably had to take out different pressure schemes because you couldn't. You could, you know, you had to work on this, so therefore this had to be taken out to make room for this. I'm guessing that's what you had to do, right? Yeah, and I, I think I'm, as you were bringing that up, I was thinking of the last three years that I was thinking of the last three years where, and I've always felt like you have to have an identity as a team. So in other words, if somebody came and watched your team play that had never seen you play before, never seen you play, and you'd ask them after the game, what'd you think of them? They would say defensively they'd say oh this offensively this and that's what we so the last three years I mean our, our thing was our 2-3 zone was what we hung our hat on I hate playing zone but I love it I've actually really grown to love it I never thought I'd say that but that was our thing our 2-3 zone in the half court and then offensively our high low post game well this year that was the reason we struggled this year is we just couldn't find something that we could really make our identity and I think that is so true that you have got to have that identity, that thing that you can hang your hat on to the kids that have that security that this is what we do really well. And then you can build on that. But you can't be doing a bunch of different things. And, and I remember um, Jim Miller from Marion years ago heard him speak at a clinic. And he talked about playing multiple defenses was his thing. Now, that doesn't mean you can't I'm not, I'm not saying, well, since they played a lot of different defenses, they didn't hang their hat on anything. They hung their hat on being really good at changing defenses. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that to me is something that's so important is 
people watch you play, what do you hang your hat on that your kids know you hang your hat on? And then make that your core, and then add a little bit here or there. But yeah, that yep. hang your hat on stuff. Yep. Let's let's get into some uh, let's get into some other stuff here. Shooting drills. We have, it's been a while since we talked just pure shooting on the pod. You know what what are some uh, what are some good shooting drills that you, that you guys feel like you run that that you like? What are the reasons why? If you could kind of explain it. Uh, you know, again, we can't draw it out, but you know, what what are some what are some shooting drills that that, that you like to, to incorporate? What's the reason why? Uh, give us a brief description of what it what it would look like, so forth and so on. Andy, you want to get us going? Yeah, sure. Uh, one thing I would encourage people to do that we did this year that was really cool was we uh, spent some money on a big whiteboard and made it like a shooting board, and so like we had seven different shooting drills that we did and they were all two minutes or less and so like if the girls came in and they could challenge each other um, and so like they got really excited about going out and erasing somebody else's name and writing their name on it and they were like can we do the shooting board where's the shooting board let's get the shooting board so I mean like that was something that we did this year that was pretty cool uh, that got them excited about shooting more and all the drills that we did, those five or six, seven drills, were all competitive as far as, like, time, number of makes, that type of deal. But but one shooting drill, like, we shoot a ton of threes. Like, we literally, literally shot more threes than twos this year as a team. And so instead of being upset about it, we practiced it. So um, one of the best that we've got I found on YouTube or something, it was a John Beeline drill called 7 and 11 where they've got to make – seven out of 11 threes and all the threes are like coming off a down screen dribble handoff flare like they're every single like a trail coming off the break every single one of the threes is a game like motion uh-huh. and they've now he didn't have he said that they got to do it in like 40 some seconds well high school girls aren't going to do that so we had emily richards who's the best three-point shooter we've ever had uh in the, in the 18 17 18 years the school's been there go through and go as hard as she could and so that was kind of our benchmark as far as, okay, here's – so we put time score and all that on there, but that would probably be the best one as far as the three-point uh, shot is concerned because there's a time and score element to it, and it's competitive, and they're all game-like motions. Yep. Russ? You know, a couple of things that, like Andy said, is really good at. Number one, I think, is shooting is getting the hand behind the ball. And we all do the pre-form shooting drill with one hand. Well, we'd like to take it back – keep going we'll say you gotta make you gotta keep going make three is your, or is your goal if you miss two you gotta over start over for a previous shot but we're just keep working one hand just one hand only learn how to turn it get the hand behind the ball and really work that out even out to the three-point line doing one hand the offhand seems to be really getting to be a bad enemy because these young kids are all trying to throw the jack and the threes up and they're losing form. How many kids you see putting thumb ball, thumbing the ball, spinning the ball? It's just got a way of breaking it. But one of the drills I've liked, I've done for years, is called the George drill. And to encourage a three-point deal, I lay the dollar bill out on the court. First girl that can make three, three threes, go run and grab that sucker. Those kids go wild for that money. It might be enough to buy a, a soda or a, something on the way home after practice for date. It's a good way to end practice, too. 
And I, on a high note. I know you. You don't want to give away that dollar bill. Not very simple. Yes, you know. But it was. But it was. Uh, it's. It creates a lot of enthusiasm. And even even my post players will shoot threes. They'll have a chance. Everybody's got a chance. And sometimes a lot of balls going up on hoops. But that's okay. And uh, you know, you gotta find a you gotta find a niche how to get the kids excited about doing something that's out of the norm. And maybe. You know, one of the things that we talk about, we play a lot of two-up. I've done that all oh, since my daughter was playing back in the late 90s. We go out and play two-ups, have competition after practice. They'll go play three-on-three. Three they used to play three-on-three three to 100 by ones and then walk out mad at each other at the end of practice, you know. But get the kids just do something extra is the main thing, I think, in shooting drills anymore. It's just be competitive in everything you do. Gotcha. Gotcha. Tom? Try and do a, my philosophy is try and just do a lot of different shooting drills that hit the different types, like shooting off the dribble from like a full court situation, off the bounce from a live ball move, one dribble, two dribble bounce, get to the rim, off the catch, off the screen, and just give them those different, and, and I, I really believe a lot in mixing up throughout the course of the drills where you're shooting from a three, and then a 15-footer, then an eight-footer, then a layup, then a 10-footer, and having them have to, I feel like that really has been effective for working on your touch, where within a shooting drill, you're three and then 10 feet, three and 15 feet, and back and forth. And so we do a lot of that, and always time every shooting drill and score it, and the universal thing that always works is make them run afterwards. They always compete for that, and make everything competitive and timed like it is in a game, put pressure on them, but I really think that Shooting off the catch, shooting off the, the screen, shooting off the dribble, one dribble, two, and really mixing those levels up. And then we've always done this. It's happened more often than I, more often than you think. What we do midway through practice and at the end of practice every day, we have our Gatorade shot where we do shots that would be like at the end of a game, end of a quarter, half court, a lot of half court type shots. And do that, and the kids just love, I mean, once we say Gatorade shot, we'll mix it up when it is in practice, they sprint for the rack, grab the ball, they just love that. We've had more shots we've made over the last five to ten years that have been that same, where the kids go, we do that, we work on that, we work on that, we work on that, half-court shots and so forth, that, like you saw Morgan Molly today, she about yeah. nailed that half-court shot. Yeah. And one, one of the seven shots in ten minutes. Yes. That might win you a game a year. Yeah, one of those. So I, yeah. I really think a lot of different levels off of a lot of catch, dribble, and so forth, timed and scored, and then mix in, because they're fun, those half-court or whatever shots, like the Morgan Molly shot today, they're about went down. Yeah. And Because I tell you, you're, you get in that position more than often than you think. Yeah, yeah. Nate? Yeah, my, my favorite shooting drill we do, I'm a motion offense coach, so I'll, I'll have our girls throw slot to slot, and then the girl that threw the pass, they'll go set a slot to wing down screen, and the girl getting the screen, they can curl, they can come off a back cut, they can go off a flare cut, and then we call it down screen shooting with two shooters. And so the the girl getting the screens, getting a shot. So we at every screen we have an inside cut and an outside cut. So the girl getting the screen gets a shot, and also the girl getting setting the screen is also going to get a shot as well. And so uh, because those are the shots we're going to take in game. So I call it down screen shooting with two with two shooters. I like Coach Ninemeyer's idea as well. We'll have some competitive shooting drills. You know, you got to make five shots baseline, 
wing, top of the key, wing, baseline. But then we'll end with a half-court shot to take your idea, Coach Taverdi. And then uh, if you make the half-court shot, you got to yell Monarchs win. And I've had teams that, you know, they might be 10 shots ahead, but they can't make the half-quarter. And then when you get both teams at the half-court trying to make the half-quarter, that, that makes it a lot of fun. And I've had teams that have lost the drill because they forgot to yell Monarchs win. Yeah. Uh, and then um, we I don't use running as a punishment in my program. So probably the worst, like the most difficult punishment for kids to do, and we'll have – We'll have winners pick the loser's punishment, but it can't be running. So we'll have – sometimes we'll have winners will tell the, the losing team, you have to say something nice about everybody on the winning team. And that's difficult for them to do. Like, it shouldn't be, but it is. And that was the idea I took from Coach Henderson, South Dakota State. And what's even harder for them, have the losing team say one thing nice about one of their coaches. I mean, they rack their brains forever, which is alarming, but – it's just anything you can do to increase that communication like that in practice, and yep. that, that was something that I've learned from, you know, going to yep. clinics as well. Yep, yep. T-Shaw, what do you got, man? So you got – I'll go with a, a couple of team-type team, team type shooting, okay? Team shooting uh, drills that we run. Uh, one is the Hoiberg drill, the layup drill. I, li- I like fast-paced, uh, trying to reach a goal – in two minutes, mm-hmm. uh, just shooting layups and such. That's a really good one that you can go look at. And it's a nice competitive drill, and it's just mostly layups, but it's just mental focus, moving the ball, swishing passes. We call you got to swish passes if you want to make shots. Mm-hmm. Focus more on the pass. You know, sometimes we try to say the pass isn't about you; it's about the person you're throwing it to. Uh, second drill that we have is a, as a team shooting drill. It's a full-court drill, and I, I'm sure it has many names, but we just we call it whatever our goal is in four. We have four minutes to score a certain number of points, and it's usually it's a pass, pass, layup, and the person that shoots the layup gets the rebound and throws to two outlets going the other way, but the passers going up the court have to hit shots. So you have two lines under each basket. There's five basketballs total, a basketball in each line under each basket, and three people in that, and so you count twos and threes. And I kind of like the angle of the passes because we try to shoot a lot of inside-out threes and paint-drive kick-out threes. Mm-hmm. So we either tr- we try to say you can shoot a three or a crate. We call them crazy eights. Eight-foot full-speed shots are really, really difficult, but we found ourselves – we shoot a lot of those in games – but we never practice them. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Like that when teams get back and they wall up and you can't get all the way to the rim, so you do a jump stop and you cast a full-speed eight-foot shots. like we should start practicing those shots because we shoot so many of them in transition. So Who, was, who shot a bunch of floaters yesterday? Somebody just shot floater after floater after floater. The team? Or the yeah, player? it was a team yesterday, and I can't remember who it was, but... Um, and they won. Not Sydney. Uh, yeah. I can't remember. Anyway, forget it. But that, but that's, forget it. But those are shots that you want to try to recreate that you'll actually do. Transition, inside out, paint, paint touch. We call we call it a poop. Pivot, yeah. out of pressure. Yeah. So we get into the paint and we poop. I mean, we say stupid things. Poop for three, and it's dumb, but kids remember it, and. 
those types of shots, just trying to recreate those, but we always have a goal. And if we don't get the goal, we'll do push-ups or run or something. 150, 160, 170. We got to 180 and four at this year, and we didn't make it. But like, just getting to that point, the girls like the challenge of, okay, all right, now we're 150 and four. All right, we made it. Yes, 152, and now next week we go up by 10. And yeah. it's just something team-wise, good bonding, good end of the February drill when you want to break up the monotony. It's a good drill. Gotcha. We're getting a little bit short on time, so I want to go one more topic. Um, and we did this yesterday, and it was it was a great way to end it. What is one or two things that you're looking to do for yourself in the offseason? We ask our players to get better. You know, so what are what are one or two things that you're looking at yourself that you're like, after this year, I really feel like I need to do X and Y and Z better and, and something that you're going to focus on. Why are you thinking that way? What do you what do you you know, again, we're just a week or two removed from the, the season and you haven't laid it all out yet. You know, but but what's what are some things that you're looking at yourself? and You're going, I feel like I need to get better at this. Here's what I'm going to do to get better at it and, and how you want to improve on it, why you want to improve on it, so forth and so on. So who wants to start? I don't I can care. Start. I think it comes to my mind right away is I have always felt this way over my entire career, and that is that I've always felt really comfortable that I could really coach defense well. Man defense, and we've gone to zone defense a lot. I've kind of become a zone coach, actually, and have really – Loved learning the craft and uh, the coverages and all that of defense. And then skill development, offensive skill development. I've always felt I've got all kinds of skill workouts I've put together that I've shared with people, individual skill workouts. I've just always felt like I am not, I'm way behind the ball in terms of offensive half-court system. I just have always felt like, and that's something I just, it really hit me again to where I've just got to get better at, that third part of it, I mean, the defensive system, offensive skill development, but team offense I, in the half court is something I just feel like I've got to grow and develop in that area because I've just always felt like I get outcoached, maybe in all three areas, but that area I've always felt like I've just got to get better at that. Uh-huh. Offensive system, against zone I'm good, but man offensive system, I've got to really go to go to school on getting better at that. Are, are you looking at I really like how Hoiberg does something or I really like how you know Phil Jackson you know just whatever you know I want to look at that or you know watch some NCAA tournament games kind of pick and choose that load up the DVR a little bit you know what's kind of your strategy that you're thinking or you haven't thought about it yet and I'm not really thinking in terms of special sets with you I, I remember one time years ago being at a coaching clinic with Eddie Sutton, the old coach at Oklahoma State. And he just brought up something I thought was really good. He said, you've got to have man offense. You have got to have whatever motion it is, you better be really good at that motion offense and make it your baby. But then you need to have three to five crutch plays to complement to complement that. And then you should be really good at your what your man offensive motion is and those three to five crutches and just be just be great at them. And I feel like I've had too often 
every year it gets done, and I'm like, we've had too many things in the bag, mm-hmm. too many different things in the bag. It's like, and we never did get great at one man offensive motion set or whatever. And that's where I felt like I just, I really got to improve that I've not been very good at. And that's not the only thing, but I mean, that in particular is, and I'll never forget, I was in the restroom and Eddie Sutton brought it up and he goes, you better be good. Really good at one motion, three to five crutches. That's all you got to have, but be really good at them. Like, man, I've never taken that advice very well. Yeah. Andy, what are you thinking? Well, I think that uh, one thing that we've got to get better at as a program is skill development. I mean, we... We, uh, we've got so many kids, thankfully, that are in multiple sports. And um, I just feel like that's something that we really, when, when I ride a practice and when time, time gets crunched, unfortunately, I think that's one of the first things that gets cut is some skill, solid skill development. And so, I mean, I just feel like that's something that's going to be the most important, especially like, you know, uh, years ago when I was coaching in Shelton and Sutton, um, I just felt like you could be you could be like a lot more system oriented, and now that I'm at Papio South, I think you have to be more skill oriented because everybody plays hard. Everybody's got you scouted out. Everybody's going to take away everything, so you've got to be able to like teach kids how to make plays as opposed to running plays. And so, uh, you know, a lot of times I just think that you know when stuff breaks down, we need to have kids that can just go make a play. Yeah. And right now. Uh, I think that we've, we're, we're trending in the right direction, but I told our girls during the season, don't, don't look at me anymore. I don't want you to look over at me. Just go make a play. Don't look at me. Don't look at your parents. Don't look at me. Just go play. And so, well, you know, when, if we've got something called or if we're in some sort of offense, I've always told them that common sense supersedes the play. So whatever we're doing, if you can make a basketball play, just, just make it. And if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. But just go make the play and live with the results. Yep. Tyler? Oh, man. Where do I start? Uh, things to get better. Things to get better at. Uh, no, honestly, I'm going to echo what Coach Deverde said. I think I feel like I do a, okay, we do a decent job teaching defense. Uh, man, like, like I said, with, you know, the amount of contact time we have with our kids and whatnot, I mean, we can get better system-wise throughout the course of the season, really hunkering down, hanging our hat on defense. But it's that half-court offense, man, that just sometimes I feel. And I think what Andy just said probably would help that out is be a little bit more skill-based. I think if you have more skilled players, I think maybe the half-court offense just is a little bit easier to implement. Absolutely. I think. I mean, well. Yeah, I would tell my kids, you want me to to coach less on offense, have more skill, and then I don't have to coach as much or feel like I have to do this or that or I the do, other thing. I do, you know? I do feel like we get into that throughout the season. It's mostly system, mostly system, and then I've tried to do a better job of incorporating skills, especially at the end of the season. I know that sounds really crazy and weird but just hey let's do some two ball dribbling right now i know it's february i know it's february 15th i know but these are little things that they might you know if they get a little bit sharper handle and you pay attention to those little detail things at the end of the season it might turn out to be big things for you so i th- I, I like what you said about just getting better at teaching skills or working skills because 
that's kind of would help what Coach Severni and I are talking about in terms of like half court offense or just teaching offensive systems and just being really good at one thing. Man, I don't want to play that team because you know they run flex for an hour or whatever. You know, I mean, like just having a system that fits your players, that your kids like, and that you can be successful with. Yep. Getting better at that. Yep. Nate. Yeah, part of my uh, I guess professional development this summer is to be better at teaching post players. Um, you know, uh, I was always a guard when I played in high school, and I feel like I've been pretty good at, at coaching guards, but I need to be better at uh, developing post players. And so that's kind of my mission this summer. And also teaching footwork. Um, you know, I think that may be something I've always taken for granted a little bit in my career is jump stops and all the different ways that you can finish now and play off of a jump stop. Um, I think I, I kind of get inspired watching Villanova play and the footwork that they have and their their two-foot jump stops and stride stops in the lane. And uh, I know we're going to uh, – the most important thing we're going to do this summer is uh, right when that Tuesday after Memorial Day comes, we're going to Hoffman Hoops in Gretna. And uh, and uh, Coach Hoffman there is going to work with six hours with my team and just really work on those skills really, really hard. I also want to learn from him. I'm going to use that as a coaching clinic for myself. And uh, also, you know, uh, more on a X's and O's level, I need to find a better way to I, – I, I need to learn more about a better balance between um, practices as far as scouting you know, giving giving too much scouting information and focusing on developing skills. You know, my, my problem is it's a strength as well as a weakness is I love scouting. Yep. I love, love, love going out and watching games and watching teams play. And I, I probably do the, the paralysis by analysis thing maybe a little bit too much. So I need to talk to smarter coaches than myself and uh, figure out a, a better course of action for yep. that. Awesome. Russ, bring us home. Well, I'll tell you what I think for me would be uh, post-play is going to have to improve a lot. I've got some young ladies that I think have got a lot of potential. i got to concentrate a little harder to try to get them to be able to score inside a little bit more for me. And I think just, you know, we seem that we struggled this year a lot against a 1-3-1 one, one zone. So we got, I'm going to be looking hard how to solve that problem a little bit better. I did what I've done in the past. I was blessed I had some good players that could, could throw it up. So now, right now, i got to try to figure a different way out how to solve that problem. But Probably the main thing I'm going to really work on is uh, basketball knowledge one-on-one with the kids. I don't think they understand the game where, where I'm saying something. I think I'm too far along with them. I think i got to back it down, be a little bit more patient with them, and uh, bring that culture to D.C. West next year. Okay. i got to add Tom. one thing to that because I think Russ made a great point. And Annie made a great point about skill development. Our practices now are so skill-based. But I used to do this, and I haven't done it for a while, and i got to go back to doing it, where I would have one maybe in, uh, college game that's going on that week, and I would say, you got to watch the first half. And it would be a game where I know it would be a high-level game, and I know it would be a really good color analyst, like Jay Billis or something. Yeah. So you got to watch that first half and write down ten things that you learn that he says during the course of that game to get him to think the game. And that was so... That's I did a that, great idea. I, I, I did that, and I got away from it, and I regret it, but it made me think of that again, and they'd hand it in. They got into that, and they learned a lot because you're right. Kids got to be... You got that savvy part of it. We're going to run this offense, but when you get in a situation, you need to know the game and know how, okay, I do this now. 
And so I used to do that. It made me think of that right now. We've got to get back to doing that. One game a week, they'd have to watch a half. Yep. Ten things you learn, bring it back, hand it in. And I think you have to teach them, like Russ is saying, the mental part of the game. Yeah. Yep. That's a great idea, Tom. I love that. And that's uh, we're going to wrap it up there. I, I'm, I, I'm the one that has to bail on everybody. I apologize. Hey, you got to have a shout-out, though. What's, what's your shout-out? Well, Tyler's daughter was a senior this year. Took her to state. I did that a few years ago with my daughter, Hannah. He took her and just, I mean, um, just in terms of a shout-out, in terms of your daughter at state, ends her career at state, and that's just a, a, a great finishing the finishing the course, finishing Absolutely. the fight. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's a great deal. So... Uh, we got, uh, oh, there's Matt Fritchie, the man, the myth, the legend from Hillsdale College and former pen and a napkin uh, contributor here. So, um, guys, I can't thank you enough for coming in here. We had we had four or three available microphones and five guests, and we made it work. Uh, I, 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 I hope I was able to compensate you adequately this evening here. Um, can't thank you enough for, for coming out here. We're at Longwell's, uh, right across the street from Pinnacle Bank Arena. Um, that's 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 all we got for roundtable number two here. So, coaches, as always, be sure to hone your craft one day at a time. <laughs>